Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Colin Haas Hill here, and it's NCAA tournament week. It's also a start of spring football for Ohio State. So a big, uh, busy week for us here uh, for Ohio State sports as you know, things really ramping up. Uh, Colin uh, was in Indianapolis this past weekend. He's back in Ohio now, and then in a couple days, you'll be headed to West Lafayette for Ohio State's first round NCAA tournament game against Oral Roberts. Listen, I bet there's there, there are probably a few people out there. I don't know if anyone listening to this is, but the people who are going to decide to go every single weekend to see Ohio State play in the postseason, like it's all it's sort of fun, and it's also, um, you know, I think if they make it all the way to the Final Four, I'll probably never want to drive to Indianapolis again. But but at that same time, like you know, having been in that building, it's pretty cool to actually hear and see fans, even if for Ohio State fans it legitimately felt like an away game for Ohio state because for that Illinois big 10 championship on Sunday, I mean, it was probably 80 to 85% Illinois fans. Just to confirm, we are recording this podcast in Ohio. I know it's, it's important <laughs> for some people to say where they record their podcast, but we are recording uh, at our homes in Ohio. Uh, Colin uh, will soon be back in Indiana for the NCAA tournament. And uh, we're going to talk about that here. We will get to some spring football talk later in the show and we'll talk about the defense because if you listen to last week's show we previewed the offense there if you didn't listen to last week's show then go back and listen to it if you want to hear us talk about ohio state's offense but we're going to start by talking about uh, the big 10 tournament this past week because you know i i think when we did this show last week i think people were feeling pretty down about this ohio state basketball team that ohio state had lost four games in a row at that point and i think uh, you know, I think the enthusiasm for this team had, had really dropped off. And then, you know, to go to Indianapolis and do what they did this past week, uh, win three straight games in the Big Ten tournament, uh, including wins against teams that they had not beaten the regular season, Minnesota, Purdue, and Michigan. They had lost to all those teams during the regular season, beat them three games in a row in the Big Ten tournament, got to the final, uh, forced overtime against Illinois, did not ultimately win that game, but you know, for me, I feel a lot more encouraged about this Ohio State basketball team right now than I did one week ago. We're just we're just riding the wave. One week we're up on the team, one week we're down on the team, and I have no idea what we're going to be talking about next week after the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament. But you're right. I mean that that was an unbelievable um, performance from them, and it's one of those things where you know, time after time, I feel like covering Chris Holtman now for. This is my third season covering Chris Holtman. Um, I'll give him this credit. Like, he's not someone who's really going to BS you with something that he doesn't believe. And I think oftentimes, sometimes maybe when he says something that, you know, maybe it feels like, um, not that it's not true, but maybe it feels like it might be a stretch. You're sort of like, you know, is that really the case? And I sort of thought that um, leading into the Big Ten tournament, when he was talking about how he really felt like, his team was perfectly fine and that the four losses at the end of the regular season weren't really hurting their morale. They, they, they didn't cause any sort of setback behind the scenes. And I'll be honest, like it's just one of those things again, where he was sort of proven correct. Um, they went into Indianapolis and I mean, I think EJ Liddell said it best, best. They basically gave everybody themselves, fans, coaches, a heart attack every single night that they played. Um, but that's the exact Ohio State basketball team um, that that we had seen for that stretch and and you know late late January early February where they really had things rolling. Yeah, you know, and I think you know there was reason for sure to wonder, you know, coming out of you know last week and they had lost four games in a row. Like, you know, would had this team lost whatever had had going for it in that seven game winning streak prior? Like. Was this team scuttling, and were they going to scuttle to the finish? And and honestly, it was close. Like the game, the first game against Minnesota, they blew a double digit lead, and uh, that game got close at the end. And you know, I think if if let's say let's just say that they blew that entire lead. I mean, it was a one point game. I think with like less than ten seconds to go. So let's say Ohio State lost that game, we'd be in a very different spot right now talking about this Ohio State basketball team. And that's why I do think it was important for this Ohio state team to make a run in the big 10 tournament to string together some wins, because, uh, you know, I think it's a big confidence booster for this team that, 
I think now can legitimately go into the NCAA tournament and feel like it can compete against anybody. I mean, again, if you look at the schedule now, because of those wins they got against Michigan, Purdue, and Minnesota, they have at least one win against every team they've played this year. They, they, they lost to seven different teams, but they, they also won at least one game against all of those teams. So that's, you know, to me, that's an encouraging thing for Ohio State, especially when you consider the fact that they're coming out of a conference that was widely considered to be the best conference in college basketball this year. The NCAA tournament will show us where that's actually true, but the fact that Ohio State was able to beat everybody in this conference that's supposed to be so strong this year, I think gives you confidence going into the NCAA tournament that doesn't necessarily mean Ohio State is going to beat everybody, but it tells you that they should be capable of beating just about everybody when they play at their best. Yeah, I think maybe more so than for the team. I think that's a reminder for fans and even for like us, like who cover the team, that like, you know, the, the the last four games of the regular season weren't good, obviously. But I think, you know, I was saying at the time, like, it's not like they got killed in all of them. Like the one game against Iowa was maybe their worst performance of the season. Every single other one of those games, they, they could have potentially won. And it's funny because it's basically the inverse of what happened in the Big Ten tournament, where they could have lost all four of these games. They only lost one of them, and it was the last one. Um, and because of because of the way it went, because they were able to close, um, they're sitting here right now as, as the Big Ten tournament runner-ups as a two-seed in the NCAA tournament, going to play Oral Roberts in the first round. I do think that there's probably a lot more confidence around this team. Um, what do you want to hit on first? Because I think there are two interesting things coming out of this. One, it's probably the the blown leads at the end. And two, it's Dwayne Washington deciding to um, announce himself to the to the country. Yeah, I was about to take it to the blown lead. So let's go there. Because I mean, I think that's been the story of this team here with both, you know, the losing streak and a Big Ten tournament for the last three weeks here. That's been the story of this team has been their inability to comfortably close out games. And the good news is this week, we're, we're talking about three games they won. I mean, against Minnesota, against Purdue, uh, against Michigan. You know, again, they, they, they did blow leads in all those games, but they still won all of them. You know, I mean, they, they, they still found a way to win all of those games, even though they, they struggled at the end of the game. So that's a good thing. I mean, you look at that game like Purdue in particular, I think that one really stands out where they had an 18-point lead at halftime. They ended up going to overtime, but – they, they, they came back in overtime and won by nine in overtime, had that kind of response they needed to uh, in those final five minutes of the game. So they, they found ways to overcome that in the Big Ten tournament enough to get to the final. And the final was a different kind of game, really. I mean, you can say they didn't, they didn't play that well in overtime. They didn't close the way they needed to there. But you know, that, that, that game, they actually were down big early and they were able to come back from that. And then it just ended up being a pretty tight game of the rest of the way. But, you know, I do think, you know, the one thing is you're going to go into this tournament now. I mean, I think every Ohio State fan who's been watching this team for the last few weeks, there's going to be no lead that ever feels comfortable with this team anymore because you're just going to expect that that slide is going to happen at some point. And the question is, is that going to be what ultimately leads to this team's demise? Is there going to be a game here in this tournament where Ohio State should be able should be in position to win the game? It fails to close it out, and that ultimately leads to the Buckeyes getting sent home. Yeah, I think when you watch 170 minutes of basketball in four days, things start to blend together. But so I can't I can't pick out the specifics off the top of my head without actually going back to pick them out. But they had plenty of times during those four games where they would just go like four, six, eight minutes, just like without a point or without a made shot from the field. And I think that that's that, that part is concerning because I think that that's one of the things that shows up at the end of the games. Um, Some of these haven't been necessarily defensive meltdowns at the end of games. Like, you know, Minnesota just made some really tough shots down the stretch. Um, A lot of it's their offense just falls apart. And what's funny, like, Maybe not funny, but what's 
almost maddening about it is there's not like one thing. It's not like you look at CJ Walker and you're like, all right, you're the point guard. Why do you keep turning it over? Like he made some tough plays. He made some bad plays too. Um, you look at EJ Liddell and why he decided to go behind the back on, on Hunter Dickinson with three quarters of the court in front of him. I don't know the answer to that, but he decided to. Um, and then he turned it over again. And like, these are the things it's just like, I don't, I don't know if it's a mindset thing. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if it's necess- if, if it's a coaching thing. Um, I think it's sort of hard to figure out because it happens to everybody and it's constant. Um, and I, it, are, are you with me, Dan, or is there something that, that you feel like is, has been one thing that you've seen pop up again and again? Yeah, not really. I mean, I, I'm not really a super basketball expert, so that's <laughs> probably why I can't pinpoint it, but, I mean, all I know is this, it's happened enough now that there's clearly something to it. Like when it happens for like two or three games, I think you can kind of be like, well, maybe it's just a coincidence. Like, is this really indicative of anything? But when it happens like six games in a row, then I think clearly there's something to it. Like clearly, I don't know why this is happening, but there's clearly something to it here where this Ohio State team struggles to play with a lead at the end of the game, you know? And so, you know, Again, I don't know. I don't know if there is a, you know, quick fix to it. Cause like you said, I mean, I, you know, I do think turnovers have been an issue in some of those late game situations, just, you know, playing sloppy with the ball, you know, maybe when they're, you know, getting pressed more and, you know, the other team's got that sense of urgency, they're just not responding, you know, well enough to it. But, you know, I agree with you, but it's not like it's one specific thing. It's just, they're just, for whatever reason, it just seems like every time they end up in those situations, uh, they just, aren't able to, to seal the game the way that you'd like to see them do so. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's funny because the, the, the Michigan game, the, the, I guess the fourth to last game of the regular season, if you remember, um, well, not, no, it wasn't that specific game. It was the Illinois game. The the last game of the regular season, Dwayne Washington just had a really tough game, um, really tough end of the game. I think in the last three minutes, he missed five shots yet. I think, Going forward, you know, he's the kind of guy who, and this can transition to the Dwayne Washington point, like that's the kind of guy who you're just going to need to make shots at, at the end of games. Um, to me, this Ohio State team in a large, uh, to, to a large degree, and I think we've learned this at the end of the season, is going to go how Dwayne Washington goes. Um, EJ Liddell is going to be huge to this team, of, uh, of course, and same with Justice Suing and same with CJ Walker. And then you look at the role players and, and they're going to need something from Musa Jallo, Justin Arns, Zed Key, just matchup dependent when it comes to those guys. But Dan, like Dwayne Washington's a legitimate star. He can create his own shot. They put the ball in his hands in, 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 in tough situations. He just came off a 32 point game against Illinois. Um, what happened? <laughs> Like, like how, how has he gotten to this point where I think, you know, I, I I'm going to write about it this week. Like, I think if Ohio state makes a run, a large part of it um, in the NCAA tournament will because will be because Dwayne Washington makes himself a household name in college basketball. Yeah. I mean, I think the talent's always been there. I think it's just a matter of becoming more consistent. You know, I think we've always seen that he is a guy that can shoot the ball, that he's a guy that when he gets hot, he can go off and have a big game, but I think now we're starting to see it on a consistent basis. You know, I think now we're starting to see it at, you know, every game he's starting to become that kind of player. And that's what they need him to be. I think you're absolutely right. They need him to be that because, you know, I mean, you know, one thing I think we've talked about more and more as the season's progressed is like, I think at the start of the season, like there was, there was kind of more of like, this is a team that has a lot from a lot of different guys and it's more, you know, the team element of it makes this team great rather than individuals. And to me, the more and more of a season has progressed, the more it's become clear, like who this team's best players actually are. Like Dwayne is their best scorer and like EJ's their best inside player. And like clearly right now, their five best players, in my opinion, are, are Dwayne Washington, EJ Liddell, Justice Suing, CJ Walker, and Kyle Young. And, you know, hopefully they'll have Kyle Young healthy for the tournament after he suffered a concussion in the Big Ten tournament. But you know, I think like now it's like, okay, I look at those five guys in particular and like those are the five guys that have to show up in the tournament if, if they're going to play, if they're going to make a run. And, you know, I think by and large in that Big Ten tournament run, you did see that from those guys. I mean, certainly from Dwayne, I think he's the guy who led the charge there, but 
you know, EJ also was an alt tournament player and he had a very good tournament. I think Justice Suing quietly had a very good Big Ten tournament as well. I think he had a, I think he had like 22 points or something against Illinois and that was his uh, career high so far uh, at Ohio State. And he was also big on the glass. And then, you know, I think CJ Walker, I think he's been playing his best basketball here down the stretch as well. I think, uh, especially like, if somebody like driving to the basket, I think we're really starting to see him get more confident in that regard and, and making those kind of plays. And so I think, you know, they need all of those guys playing at their best here as they get into this NCAA tournament, if they're going to have a chance to make a deep run. Cause I think they do have some other guys outside of that that contribute, but I don't know that any of those other guys are really capable of stepping up in a way that's going to make up for it if those top guys don't deliver the way they need them to. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned CJ. I think CJ's huge to this because it's like at this point in 2021, like the veteran guard cliche in, in March is, you know, it's completely overused. But there's also a little bit of truth to it. And, and you know, Chris Holtman believes that there's truth to it when – when he talks about wanting a, a veteran roster, a lot of that's he wants veteran guards to rely on. Um, and that's what he has now. That's what he has in Dwayne Washington. I think it's just playing smarter and smarter along with um, the fact that, you know, he's just willing to, to um, put it up at will. Um, and that's also what he has in, in CJ Walker, uh, whose leadership, I think, you know, I think that that, that's like a that's like the word that you throw around a lot of the time when when somebody's not actually that good, but I think I think it actually matters for this team. Um, he's their vocal leader. He's their emotional leader. He's the kind of guy who um, you know Chris Holtman had referenced it after a game. Um, I don't remember which game in particular, but he is he goes after every single loose ball in a way that you rarely see, um, and he's doing it with three fingers bandaged together basically since he still has torn ligaments in one of his hands I think the health of this team is is a fascinating thing to watch and I think it's you know it's it's obviously a little difficult for us to know specifically exactly where guys are um, but CJ is clearly playing perfectly fine with the split on his hand the other two main questions you should or the other three main questions you should probably have are just suing going forward given the fact that he had a procedure a week and a half ago but at the same time, he seemed, you know, he was fine to play four straight games in the Big Ten tournament. Um, and then it's Kyle Young, of course, who suffered the concussion um, against against Purdue in the in, in the quarterfinals. And then it's Seth Towns, because to me, what's interesting about Seth Towns is he hadn't ever played 21 minutes in a game before as a Buckeye. And he played more than 20. He played at least 21 minutes for three straight games and three straight days, which if you had asked me whether that would happen, I would have just said, no, I didn't think that that was going to happen this year. And, 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 you know, when you look forward, like this is an NCAA tournament where I do think, especially after what we just saw from him, we might see a little bit more Seth Towns than I'd previously thought. Do you think that's maybe like loosening the leash a little bit of like, okay, now we're at the end of the season. We don't need to preserve him the way that we did in January. I think there is something to that. And at the same time, you're also looking forward as a coach and you say like, you don't want to just, you know, Seth Towns has worked so hard to get back to this point. You don't want to push him too much yet at the same time, you know, Seth Towns wants to be back there. I think, you know, he had posted on social media the other day that, you know, he's basically playing with one leg, um, which is, you know, that's quite something to do and to, to play essentially 70 minutes over three days. Um, but that's where Ohio State is. And it's also sort of a, a commentary on what Ohio State has as a team, which is just a bunch of guys who fit together, who came in random ways. Like Kyle Young, obviously, was committed to Butler at once. Uh, Zed Key's just some three-star guy from New York. Uh, C.J. Walker was a transfer. Justice Sewing's a transfer. Dwayne Washington was some lowly-rated three-star. E.J. Liddell was a big get um as a recruit you know Justin Orange is an in-state guy I just think it's a fascinating roster and a fascinating mix and I think that you make the you make the 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 salient point that right now I think we know they're 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 the five that we're going to see the most of the time but you do still look at a Seth Towns a Zed Key and a Justin Orange and a Musa Jallo and you think like matchup dependent these guys are still going to be super important and that obviously begins Friday against an Oral Roberts team that uh can score to say the least. 
Yeah, I didn't mean to say that they weren't important. I just meant that I don't I don't think you can count on any of those other guys to to pick up the load if, if you get what I'm saying. Like I think those those five those top five guys, the five guys who typically play the most minutes, I think those are the guys that, you know, those are the guys you need double digit scores out of. Those are the guys that you really need you know, reliable play from both ends of the court on. I think those other guys in their roles, we've seen all of them have their moments this year. And certainly I think it would help Ohio state's chances if those guys have more of those moments in March. But I, I just don't know that you can rely on any of them to make a, a huge contribution. That's going to make up for it. If a Dwayne has an off night or if a justice suing has an off night. Yeah. There, I think their contributions will be more sporadic. And like, you know, what we've seen of Justin Arns is essentially he's out there just taking up a defender on offense because nobody's ever going to leave him open anymore. Teams have, teams have learned just not to do that. But Dan, just to look at Oral Roberts real quick, which uh, I don't know how long we can do that because if I was listening to a podcast and they brought up Oral Roberts, I'd probably give him two minutes before I turned it off. But let's just say this. Let's play this game. If Ohio State, if something goes wrong and Ohio State either loses or it's a really, really tight game, what has gone wrong for Ohio State on Friday? Well, I think what's gone wrong is they've they've gone cold and they're not making shots because Oral Roberts is going to score some points in this game. I really believe that. I mean, this is a team, if you look at them, they're in the top 12 of the nation in scoring. They lead the nation in free pointers per game. They lead the nation in free throw percentage. So this is a team that can score the ball, and I think they will score the ball. Uh, against Ohio State because we've seen it. Ohio State's defense has not been great this year. And so I think Oral Roberts is going to put up some points. I also think Ohio State should put up a lot of points because Oral Roberts is rated by Ken Palm as the worst defensive team in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, I, I think Ohio State should be scoring into the 80s or even into the 90s in this game if their offense is clicking. But if if they have an off day, you know, this is what I, I do look at this matchup and I look at the issues Ohio State has had in terms of defense and in terms of these cold stretches they've had, where I do think this is one of those games where, you know, if, if Ohio, you know, I could easily see a scenario in this game where Ohio State builds a big lead and then they go cold there for a stretch of five minutes and all of a sudden Oral Roberts goes on a run and makes it a tight game. Like I think that type of game could absolutely happen here. So while Ohio State should win this game definitely should win this game and there's a reason why joe lenardi's going out there and saying this is his upset pick because this is an oral roberts team that can be dangerous shooting the ball and if ohio state has an off night you know i'm gonna say i'm like 90 percent confident that ohio state's gonna win this game like ohio state definitely should win this game but i think there's that little bit of a possibility there but if ohio state has an off night this this oral roberts team could be dangerous enough uh, to make a run at it. What do you think that Ken Palm's projections, uh, what percentage chance do you think they have that Ohio State's going to win? I'm going to guess like 96 or something. 94%. Yeah. Which is. I didn't probably, look at that. I just, I just came up with 90 out of my head. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm probably right around those projections because if you just look at it, you know, if you look at the size of what Oral Roberts has, like you're not playing in the big 10 anymore. You're essentially playing a, a low major, mid major team, the classic low major, mid major team, where you know their best guard, the nation's leading scorer, Max Abmas, he is the nation's leading scorer. He's six foot one, 165 pounds. You know, they have a four to six eight, two twenty five, who basically averages eighteen and nine, um, and he's going to be essentially their biggest player on the court. You know, they have some length on the wing at six six, six five, six seven, six three, um, but that's. That that's sort of the low, the classic low major mid major size to me, um, and this is where I look to an EJ Liddell, I look to Kyle Young if he's healthy, um, I look to Dwayne Washington and say, you know, the matchup's right here. Like this is a team that Ohio State should go out there and shoot fifty percent or above um, from. Now the key to me is is defensively, they can't just have Oral Roberts go and uh, decide to go shoot, you know. 60% from three, which like sounds absurd, but they shoot 38%. And we've seen in the NCAA tournament, lower rated, lower seeded teams that are really good shooting teams that just catch fire at the right time. And Oral Roberts has that ability. I think the thing to me that's a, that, that should be noted is 
there isn't a Kofi Coburn or someone like that. There's not somebody who you're you're going to have to double team every time they get the ball, and that's going to be a going to be a major concern. I think that the 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 key here is you just can't let them beat you outside the arc. You know, if they're going to beat you inside the arc, good luck. I just don't think that that's going to happen. I mean, they're 170th and and two point percentage. They're one of the worst offensive rebounding teams, one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the country. They're just not built to beat you inside. So it's going to be up to me to Ohio State's entire roster to to be out there um, behind the three-point line and ensuring that you just you, you don't give them open looks regardless. I mean that 6'8 225-pound guy who I said is their biggest guy in the in, in Summit League play, he shot 50% from three. And if that's their biggest guy, I don't need to tell you about the rest of the roster. They can all shoot. Yeah, no, they they can all shoot, but you're right. They, I mean, we've seen the big men have been one of the big problems for this Ohio State team defensively, and is, is you know defending teams and preventing those offensive rebounds. And Oral Roberts does not have anybody who should be a threat in that regard. So o- Ohio State needs to control the glass. It needs to win in the paint, and if it does that, I think Ohio State should be in good shape. Yep, which is why. I'll pick Ohio State with a pretty high degree of confidence because to me, like we talk about their their margin for error, like I don't think that this is one of those games for, that, that they should be tripped up on. It's, it is, though, one of those games where if your defense is off a little bit and for some reason you can't figure out, um, you, you're just not making shots on the other end, like it could just be as simple as that, and all of a sudden you have a game late in it. So if we look ahead then, if, if we assume Ohio State does beat – Oral Roberts, just for the sake of this conversation, we go to the second round. They'll play either number seven seed Florida, number ten seed Virginia Tech. You know, seven ten game. That means it's a pretty close to even chance that Ohio State could be playing either one of those teams. I don't know how much you've started to look into those teams at all, but do, do either of those teams scare you as like a team that could really give Ohio State a challenge in the second round? Yeah, I would be lying to say that I have really dive deep into them. And I probably will at some point later this week, just because there's just a two day turnaround uh, win slash if they, they beat Oral Roberts, but no, I mean, these are, these are still two teams that Ohio state should beat. I mean, I think that the interesting thing for both of these teams is they, they, they both have like somebody who you can look at and say like, this guy's a star. Like Trey man is, is that for Florida? If I remember off the top of my head, I think, you know, he ended the season really, really hot with, I believe it was three 28-point games in the last four games. I could be wrong on that. Pretty confident on that. And then if you look at if you look at Florida, um, I believe I don't. You know the names right now. When it gets to March, the names kill you. And I'm right there. I'm just going to call this guy Aluma because that's his last name. He's six eight. Um, he's two thirty five. He's another guy who is you know a fifteen and eight kind of guy who. Um, you know, that's another interesting matchup for somebody like E.J. Liddell, but I don't have a great handle on these two teams. They're the classic kind of teams uh, at, at the high major level that that have some really solid wins. I mean, if you look at Florida, they beat LSU, you know, they beat Tennessee, and at the same time, they've lost a game to a, to a terrible South Carolina team, to a bad Mississippi team, and you look at the same for, for Virginia Tech, where they've beaten a Virginia, they've beaten a Duke, they've beaten a Clemson, and at the same time, they lost in the very first round, uh, their very first game of ACC tournament play. They lost to Penn State. They lost to Pitt. Like they've lost to lesser teams. So you know they're they're these classic teams with some really solid players, some really high, really solid high major players. Um, yet at the same time, they're they're just not built to to be as complete as Ohio State. Um, and and we can dive. I'm sure everybody will dive deeper into them once we know which of them Ohio State is actually going to play so that you don't have to do too much Virginia Tech research and then never need to know any of it. But um, it's an, it, I, I don't look at those two teams and say, well, this is a really difficult path for Ohio State. I mean, to me, this is just sort of the usual 7-10 matchup that Ohio State would, would face. Trey Mann had at least 21 points in Florida's last four games. Not quite yes. 28, but he did have 30 points in their last game of the season, which was a loss to Tennessee in the SEC tournament. But yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think clearly both these teams have a lot more talent than Oral Roberts. So it's going to be a step up in that regard in terms of, you know, teams that can compete with Ohio state athletically have, have somewhat comparable talent on the floor. But I also don't look at either of these teams and think like there's a reason to be overly scared of them. Like, they both had pretty up and down seasons. And like, especially if you look at Virginia tech, 
Uh, I think they've won one game in the last month because they had a COVID pause. Um, so, you know, they haven't won a whole lot of basketball games recently. So that doesn't, you know, to me, that's not usually a great sign uh, going into a, a tournament setting like this when the team hasn't even played much basketball and the ones they have played, they haven't won much. So, you know, to me, like if I'm at 90% that Ohio State should beat Oral Roberts, I'm at like 80% that Ohio State should win in the second round. Like I, I think, you know, both these teams are going to be more capable of upsetting Ohio State than Oral Roberts will be. But I really, I'll say this, I've said it before and, uh, and nothing has changed here. If Ohio State does not get to the Sweet 16, it would be a major disappointment. Ohio State, for whatever flaws it has, Ohio State absolutely should get to the Sweet 16. And if that doesn't happen, it would be a major letdown for this team. Yeah, and I'll pick Florida there. And and I think that this is, you know, I'll make this point because I think it's interesting. Like Trey Mann's a really, he's a really good guard. You know, he's a potential NBA guard. If you look at Ohio State, the the next round, so you go from Max Abmas, nation's leading scorer in round one, maybe Trey Mann in round two, maybe Arkansas in round three, who has Moses Moody, who Ohio State once recruited really hard, who who Dwayne Washington and, and EJ Liddell both know pretty well. Um who's going to be a potential NBA lottery pick in a few months. And then if you look at what might come next in the Elite Eight, you know, that might be Baylor and that might be the the best bat, one of the best bat courts in the, in the nation. And that just comes back to, to my point about Dwayne earlier. Like they might just run through in their, in their region, they might just run through four really, really good high level guards. Um, and I, and I not even just guards, just entire bat courts. And, and to me, you know, if, if you're looking at the path, you know, EJ Liddell is going to be important. Justice Ewan is going to be important. All this, like Dwayne Washington has to win some in individual matchups here. Yeah. And we can obviously you know, get more into Sweet 16 Elite Eight games if, if that happens. If Ohio State makes it out of this weekend and gets there next week, then uh, we'll certainly talk more about that next week. But, you know, just in my early impressions, you know, looking at the bracket, you know, I think the Sweet 16, like to me, that's where it really gets interesting. Ohio State team like especially if they play Arkansas like to me that's a game that I'd look at an Ohio State Arkansas game and I'd say I think it's probably gonna be a really good game like I think it's gonna be a really competitive game and I'd probably be about 50-50 on whether Ohio State would win that game uh, you know Texas Tech would be the other team that you know would, would could potentially be an opponent there as the sixth seed if you know they could get through Arkansas and I think you know I mean that's a team that was in the national championship game a couple years ago under Chris Beard so uh, and also, that's a, you know, they also have a high level guard, Mac, Mac yep. McClung. Um, yep, so Georgetown it, transfer. Yep. And, it, and, you know, again, you're just going to see a lot of high level guard play along the way. I do think, though, when I look at this bracket, and I'll say this, first of all, I think it's a better draw than it could have been because the question really going into the bracket reveal on Sunday was, was Ohio State going to get Baylor or Gonzaga in terms of, you know, we knew Ohio State was going to be a number two seed who was going to be the number one seed in the bracket. We knew it wasn't going to be Michigan or Illinois. So it was either going to be Baylor or Gonzaga. And again, Ohio State's got a long way to go just to get to a game with Baylor. And Baylor's a really good basketball team that will undoubtedly be favored if that Elite Eight game happens. But I still like Ohio State's chances of beating Baylor a lot better than I like Ohio State's chances of beating Gonzaga. Because, I mean, I think Gonzaga is, is an absolutely loaded team. And, you know, I look at the guys they have, you know, you know, Kispert and Timmy at, at, at forward, you know, and Jalen Suggs at, at point guard. I mean, I don't think Ohio State would have an answer for Gonzaga. I think Ohio State would absolutely have to play its best basketball game of the season to beat Gonzaga. I think there's a path where Ohio State could beat Baylor because, you know, Baylor doesn't have that big that's given Ohio State problems in so many games this year. And I, th I think that's a game where I think if Ohio State really executes, I think it would have a chance. Uh, I mean, Baylor's really good. And again, if that, if that game looks like it could happen next week, then we'll talk about it more then. But I do see a path here. Like, I, I don't think it's out of the question that, you know, Ohio State could make a Final Four run here. I mean, I, I'm, I would say, yeah, I would say I'm about, you know, 50% if, if, if Ohio State can get through the Sweet 16. And then if, you know, if they play a game with Baylor, I'm probably around 50% there on like if Ohio state has a chance to win it. So I don't know, I'm at like 20 or 25% on, I think Ohio state is capable of making a run to the final four. 
Yeah, I think the ultimate thing I come back to is there there you hear about the regions of death. This is not a region of death. This is this this to me is you know, there are talented teams here. There are talented players, there are future NBA players in this in this region. But Ohio State, this is about as this is about as good as it was gonna look. Um, and I can absolutely see this team losing in the Sweet 16 as I say that. But it could be worse. And I think that that's, that's sort of my overriding thought when, when I gave this bracket a look. Yeah. I think there's, there's reason to believe, I think there's reason to believe this Ohio state team can make a deep run. Will it happen? We'll see what happens over the next two weeks, but I think there's reason to believe this team is capable of making a run deep into this tournament. Sumaic asks, how far do you see this team going? Personally, I see lead eight, but I can see slip up, slip up in the sweet 16. Yeah, I mean that's kind of I think that's kind of where we're at. Like I don't know it, it, that, that Sweet Sixteen game is very interesting to me. Like I don't know, that Arkansas matchup for whatever reason is very like interesting to me. Like with Moses Moody and with you know Justin Smith at forward, um, you know Jay Sean Tate's younger brothers playing really well there too. Like that's a game I look at that I truly would look at as like a 50-50 game for Ohio State. And so uh, if Ohio State was to lose in the Sweet Sixteen, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But I do believe that if Ohio State can get past that Sweet 16 game, I do believe it's got a chance to go to the Final Four. I, I, I really do. I, don't, I do not look at that Baylor game and say, well, that, that's not a game Ohio State uh, has a chance to win. I think if Ohio State can get there, I, I think it's got a chance uh, to get into the Final Four. But, you know, I, again, it's, you know, to say, you know, to say my confidence in Ohio State winning in either of those second weekend rounds is higher than 50% right now. I wouldn't say that, but you know, I'm saying, I think if Ohio state plays really well uh, in a, in four games here, I mean, I think, I think it's possible. It's so hard. It's so hard because I think that ultimately what it comes down to, to me is, is do I think that Dwayne Washington's an all American right now? Or do I think that he might be an all American next year and he's not there yet? Um, because I'll be honest, I'm pretty high on Dwayne Washington right now. And I'm pretty high on what he can be. Kevin Harris is too. I, of course, who who isn't high on Dwayne Washington right now? But like, you know, there is a legitimate chance that if he absolutely went off, that he would consider trying to jump to the NBA after this season. Um, and basically, what I'm wondering in my own head is, do I think that he's going to have that kind of run? Uh, because here's the thing about Dwayne Washington that everybody knows, but that's worth a reminder. When was the last time that Dwayne Washington had a 10 game stretch where you're like? He didn't have a single stinker in there. He was just great 10 games in a row. I don't think that's ever happened. I really don't. Um, and he's going to face some really high-level guards um, night in and night out of this NCAA tournament. And that's, to me, where I wonder, like, can he just do this every single night? Is he just going to average 24, 25 a game against high-level guards every single day? of the NCAA tournament. And that's the thing that's so hard to figure out because I watch him against Illinois and I'm thinking like this guy, this guy's pretty different right now. This guy looks like an NBA guard. And then if you look back at his game against Illinois, not that long ago, I think it was probably, I think it was eight days before that, the, the second, uh, the, the second Illinois game, um, or I guess the third Illinois game, um, he was eight of 16 with 15 points. And you're like, if he does that in the wrong game, I think Ohio State might be in trouble. So I think that's the tough thing about this team is, are you are you betting that Dwayne is going to be consistent? And if Dwayne isn't consistent, do you think that the other pieces that Ohio State has can pick up the parts? And that's where I just don't know. I don't know. I, I, go, I go so far back and forth on this uh, because I legitimately can make a strong case in my mind to pick them to go to the national championship game and lose to Gonzaga. I can also make a pretty strong case in my mind that they can lose that they're going to lose to to Arkansas in the Sweet 16. So if we're just going to sit here and make our picks, where do you see them ending up? I'm going to pick a loss in the Sweet 16, but I have no confidence in that. <laughs> That's completely fair because I originally in my bracket I originally had Ohio State in the Final Four, and there's still a chance that before Friday I will change it and put Ohio State in my Final Four. Yeah, and I think it's really hard. I mean. Arkansas is a really good team. If you look at it, I mean, there's a reason why Ohio State wanted Moses Moody so, so much because you know he's a stud and he's he's obviously just a true freshman. That guy's going to go places. Um, I'll do it. 
I think Ohio State's going to go to the Final Four. Um, I can't. I, I I don't know. Like I, I I say that obviously with the caveat that it's hard to predict with this team because every time you think you know something about this team, you're proving that you don't know anything about this team. But I really believe in in what Dwayne Washington has going on right now um, will be fairly consistent. And I believe in, in EJ Liddell. And I think that, you know, CJ Walker is going to play really well here. I think that at some point they'll have Kyle Young. And and once Kyle Young's playing, you sort of know what you have in Kyle Young. And, you know, Justice Sewing's been been solid enough to, to believe in. And I just think that their other role players are, are, are good enough in their roles that I can I can I can absolutely see them getting to the Sweet 16. To me, it's it's all about Dwayne though. And it's all about if, if I think Dwayne is is that kind of player right now. And to be honest, after watching these past four days and after watching his growth throughout the year, I'm just gonna pick it. I I'll pick them in the final four. Well, hopefully we are talking about NCAA tournament games next week. Because if not, we're both gonna look pretty foolish for that. Uh, well, you know, we'll talk about the NCAA tournament games. They just won't be. Uh, we're going to be talking about it. Uh, hopefully we're talking about games that are still going to happen and not Ohio State being upset in one of the first two rounds because it'll be a very different conversation uh, if, if that's the case. But let's talk a little spring football here because uh, spring football is starting on Friday, which means uh, Friday is going to be a very busy day uh, for Ohio State beat writers because uh Ohio State basketball will be playing at 3 p.m. that afternoon. Colin, Colin will be driving uh, to West Lafayette while I will be on a football press conference that morning. But uh, going to be a very busy day for those of us who write about Ohio State. But that's a good thing. Gives us a lot of stuff to write about, a lot of stuff to talk about. As I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we talked about the offense last week. So let's talk about the defense this week. And I'll just start with this, Colin. What do you think is the bigger question surrounding Ohio State's defense this spring? Personnel or scheme? Well, I think it's it's like you want to take the 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 thing in between and say fitting the personnel into the scheme, but you can't say that because that ruins the whole question. Ah, <laughs> uh, Dan. Uh, you know, I will go with scheme because I think that you have you have you have to have enough certainty that the players that Ohio State has are good enough. I don't know necessarily which of those guys they'll pick. Um, but to me, if you have the wrong scheme, and if we're looking back at this point next year and being like, I cannot believe they just trotted out the exact same thing with no changes and it went the exact same way. You just can't do that again. I have belief that there are talented guys in this defensive back um, in this defensive backfield. Uh, maybe it's some other guys who we haven't talked a lot about. Maybe it's the guys who we just saw a ton of in the fall. But I think the question mark to me is scheme. And I don't know necessarily how much we'll see that with our own two eyes in the spring, but we might get little hints. Yeah, I think the scheme definitely needs to get better. Like you said, I don't know how much uh, we're going to see this spring. And I do think that's going to be a, a big determining factor of, you know, whether this defense gets back on track this fall, but I'm going to go the other way on this one. I'm going to go with personnel because I don't see a lot of stars on this defense right now. And I think Ohio state, I think a big thing this spring is going to be figuring out who those stars can be. Because I mean, even if you look at last year's defense, there wasn't a ton of star power on the defense, but now you lost Tommy Togiai, you lost Jonathan Cooper, you lost Pete Warner. You lost Tough Borland. You lost Baron Browning. You lost Justin Hill. You lost Sean Wade. Those are seven guys who played a lot of football for Ohio State last year. And I think, you know, they need at all three levels of the defense, they are going to need some guys to really make a big step if this defense is going to be capable of being an elite defense in 2021. And there's no doubt that they've got the talent, but you know, I think we've got to see more out of a lot of these guys. I mean, I think, you know, we saw Haskell Garrett uh, become, I think you can say he was a star. I mean, he was a, he was a, an All-American from multiple media outlets. But I think other than that, I think there's a lot of other guys that you look at and say, well, they're talented. We've seen flashes from them. But now we need to see them do it on a consistent basis. And whether that happens, I think, is ultimately going to determine how good this defense can be in 2021. Just to set a baseline, considering we talked about the offense last last week, um, 
What do you think is more likely that the offense is better than the defense or the defense is better than the offense? I think it's more likely that the offense will be better than the defense because even with a new quarterback, I just think there's so much talent uh, on the offensive side of a ball that I'd be surprised if that's not Ohio State's stronger unit in 2021. Isn't that an interesting spot, though, that we sit in? Because I think that the the reason, like one of the main reasons you picked that is because of the talent. And I and I look across the lineup of, of what Ohio State has on the defensive side of the ball. And if you're just looking at recruiting stars, like they don't really lack that. You know what I mean? They don't they don't lack that at all. The real question to me is, is you know, we talk a lot about scheme and we talk a lot about recruiting and whatnot um, and, and fitting personnel in. Like part of it is I, I do wonder, um, I don't know, should we ask about the development of certain guys? Like, do we feel like they're developing the way that they should at Ohio State at all three levels? Or 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 what would you what do we do we not talk about that enough? No, I think I think we probably don't. I think that's a valid question because I think there's a lot of guys who could fit that bill. You know, guys like Zach Harrison and, and Tyreek Smith and Teron Vincent up front. Guys like Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope, who we haven't seen a lot of yet at linebacker, and guys like you know, Tyreek Johnson and uh, you know I mean, even guys like you know Josh Proctor and Seven Banks, who I think we've seen flashes from, but now we've really got to see them become the kind of you know first round pick potential kind of players that we think they have the talent to be. You know, all those guys I just named, like they've got to put it all together this year, and I think that's I think that's my where my question comes in is I think we're counting on a lot of guys making big jumps here for, for this defense to be a great defense. And I just don't think we have a ton to back it up with a lot of these guys. Like I think, yeah, I mean, all those guys I just named, they're all four and five star recruits, but we don't have that much football to go off with these guys. And part of that's because the season was shortened last year, but there's just not a, ton to go off with most of those guys where I can really say, yeah, th- these guys really look like they're going to be star players at Ohio State. They have the talent. I'm not doubting if they have the talent, but I, I just think we need to see jumps from all of those guys this year to really become the kind of players they were recruited to be. Or if not, I think this Ohio State defense is going to have some problems. Yeah, it's like how how many years in a row can people sit here and listen to us talk about Teron Vincent <laughs> or talk about Zach Harrison being the next great thing? Um, I think that that's a valid thing, and and maybe more so. You know, you you ask the scheme or personnel question. Like to me, when I think about personnel, a lot of the time I think about like a player getting better himself. You know, I just think that de- the the development on the defensive side of the ball, like this, is the year where I think you have to see it the most. Um, maybe more so than than in past years. Yeah, because I think there's a lot of guys that are in that mold. I mean, again, I mean, like, other than Haskell Garrett, like, who are guys that you would say that, like, you're going into this spring feeling really confident are going to be great players for Ohio State's defense this fall? And not even great players, like, who I think that I know that for a fact that they can count on to be good. Um, I think my list might end at one person. Right. I mean, that's that's the tough thing. I mean, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of talent in this group, but I, I just think that we just haven't seen it in terms of these guys, you know, in terms of proven production from these guys. And so I think that makes this an extremely ex- important offseason in, in terms of talent development for these guys, because, you know, the next time they're the next time they're really going to be put to the test is a Big Ten game on September 2 at Minnesota. And then they're going to play an Oregon team that might be the best team they play in a regular season. So, you know, you know, we talked a lot last year about like the impact of, you know, having that shortened season and not having time to work out the kinks. But when you look ahead to the start of this 2021 season, those opportunities will come to work out the kinks, but they're not going to come immediately. So from both a personnel and a scheme standpoint, this defense has got to be better in September than it was in January. And that's without a lot of players who were really important to the defense in January. To talk a little bit about the defensive line, since I, um, Seattle Linga had a question on, on what, what type of rotation will we see from the defensive line? Um, how deep do you think that they're going to be 
um, at, at each of these defensive line spots. And do you think we'll have any read on that in the spring, or is this going to be one of those things where Larry Johnson just runs through 12 guys at each position and maybe we'll figure out who's on top of the depth chart come fall? Probably the latter. Um, you know, I think, I think they can go really deep. You know, I mean, I think, you know, when I, I look at the defensive line, like I feel like I have a pretty good idea of who all is going to be in there too deep because I think it's going to be Haskell, Haskell Garrett, Teron Vincent, and Jerron Cage and Antoine Jackson at those defensive tackle spots. And then I think it's going to be Tyreek Smith and Zach Harrison and Tyler Friday and Javante Jean-Baptiste at those defensive end spots. And, you know, who, who necessarily will start and who will be second team at those spots. I don't even know how much that's going to matter. I mean, I think Haskell Garrett's for sure going to start and play the majority of snaps. I think at all those other spots, there's not going to be a guy that plays, you know, 70 snaps a game. I think at all those other spots, it's going to be heavy rotation. And I think my, my question there is, can some other guys break in too and make it a deeper rotation, whether that's Ty Hamilton at defensive tackle or whether that's Jack Sawyer or a Noah Potter or a Carmonte Hamilton at, at defensive end, you know, even a, you know, Darian Henry or Jacoby count. I mean, any of these guys who are going to be competing this spring, can any of these guys, you know, also break into the rotation? Because, you know, as I talked about, you know, other than Haskell, there's not established stars in this group. So even though there's a ton of returning veterans, which is a great thing to have. And Larry Johnson likes having a deep rotation. So, you know, they don't necessarily need to have four superstars there if they've got a, a deep rotation. But at the same time, I think we saw last year that when you don't have a Chase Young or you don't have a Nick Bosa, your defensive line is not quite the same. And I, I mean, again, you know, could Zach Harrison be that guy? Maybe, but he's got to make a huge jump. So to me, I, I just think you need to see some big jumps out of these guys if this defensive line is going to be an elite defensive line or you need some other guys to force their way in there too. And you got to find snaps for them. You know, if, if some of these young guys really show something this spring, even with all those veterans you have, you've got to find a way to get those young guys on the field too. If they can give you something that maybe you were missing last year. You heard it, Larry Johnson, Dan Hope has issued you a challenge. Get them ready. Well, Larry, like- Larry Johnson has forgotten way more about defensive line play than, than I know. I mean, so I'm not, I'm not questioning Larry Johnson's ability to coach defensive line. All I'm saying is I just, I don't think there's a chase young in this group. So I think that means that a lot of other guys, I mean, we, we were, we were saying this exact same conversation last year and I don't think it happened. So I think, you know, it, it's just the truth, but I think if there's not going to be a superstar in this group, that then a lot of guys have got to step up their game. No, I was kidding, but uh, actually at the same time, also not kidding because this is a giant year for Larry Johnson. I think it's a big year for Larry Johnson when you look at the defensive ends. I think it's a big year when you look at the defensive tackles. A lot of guys, not a lot of known commodities. And you can say the exact same thing about the linebacker situation where there are probably fewer guys, also fewer known commodities somehow. Yeah, well, I mean, there's really no known commodities because they lost the top four linebackers from last year. So really nobody at the linebacker position has seen substantial playing time. And, you know, I think the two guys who I think I assume are going to be starters, and I think you probably agree with me, are Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant. And these are two guys that I think we've kind of been waiting to see play for, you know, four years now. Um, I think they can both be really good linebackers, but I also think they're still very much unproven at this point. And so I don't know what to expect. You know, I don't, I don't know the fact that they're going into their fourth year and haven't played that much. Does that simply mean they've been blocked on the depth chart by other players? Or does it mean that they haven't quite developed the way they were expected to? I don't know that we're going to know the answer to that un, until September, but you know, I do think certainly uh, the best thing for Ohio state would be if those two guys can really show this offseason that they're ready to lead this linebacker group. Who's the other guy who, like, I think Kayvon Pope and Craig Young are guys who we talk a lot about, uh, potential Sams. Is there anybody else in the room who you're interested to see in the spring if they can make some sort of a push? That, honestly, to me, I think is maybe the biggest question mark, like, of a position on the depth chart that isn't really being talked about much yet. Because 
I really don't know at that spot. Like, I think Craig Young is kind of a wild card too. I mean, we've just, we've seen him play very sparingly. I mean, he's a guy, you just think of him as a recruit. I mean, he's a guy who we know has tremendous physical potential, but he was pretty raw coming in and we haven't really seen him play a lot. So I just don't know what kind of player he can be. I think that could be a fairly wide open spot. You know, I think the question is like how much versatility do other guys have? It's like Cody Simon's a guy that the way people talk about him, I think he could make a push for a starting job this year. Could he maybe be that third guy? I tend to think that him and Mitchell and Gantt are probably all inside backers and not Sam backers. But if he's one of the three best guys, can he, can he, can he play out there? Can, can he be that guy if he's one of the three best guys? You know, I think we've talked about, you know, could Court Williams play linebacker? But my guess is, he's going to be limited if he's practicing at all this spring, given that he, he's coming off a torn ACL. So I don't know that we're going to know about him until the fall rolls around. But I think that's a very interesting spot that I, I don't know if there's a clear answer to. And I do think the door's open there for, you know, a guy like a Cody Simon. And, you know, I'm not sure where like a Mitchell Melton is at this point, but, you know, a guy like a Cody Simon, maybe, I mean, maybe, maybe he breaks through and, he becomes a surprise, you know, winner of that job. Nun PA asks, who is basically the essentially is who is the Eleven Warriors forum gonna be pissed off that, that Ohio State didn't start this guy sooner in his Ohio State career? Which linebacker fits that bill, considering they are literally all candidates to fit that? They are. I mean, yeah, it's whoever plays best is the real yeah, no, answer. I mean, that, it's it's so good because if this linebacker core turns out to be awesome. Then everybody's gonna look back and be like, wait a second, what just happened to the to the past few years? And, and I think that that might be a little unfair. Actually, I'm interested to see how this plays out. Though, to be quite honest, I think there are enough question marks that I'm not sure that we will see it play out like that. Um, but if it does play out like that, you know, that that'll be fascinating to watch because you know it's the same question that everybody's asked for essentially three years is like, hey, when are these other guys gonna get on the field? Now it's like we're gonna see them all at once. Yeah, I think there's a sizable segment of the Ohio State fan base who has been convinced that if these guys were playing over the previous starters, that the linebackers would have been better. So I think if the linebackers are better this year, there's absolutely going to be a vocal segment of the Ohio State fan base who's wondering why the heck these guys didn't play. And I think that probably starts with Taraja Mitchell, because I think he's the guy that I've heard the most from Ohio State fans over the last three years of, why isn't this guy playing? I mean, he was he was a highly recruited guy. I mean, he was a guy who came in was a really highly touted uh, guy and a guy that I think even we thought was going to play more early in his career than he has. So I think he's probably the guy that leaps to mind for me is if he plays really well, people are going to be wondering why he didn't play sooner. But I think it's true of all these guys. But, you know, I'm with you. Like, I'm far from convinced that the linebackers are going to be better this year. I mean, I think, you know, especially losing a guy like a Pete Warner, I just don't know if they have a guy who's going to offer the same kind of versatility that Pete did. Maybe they do, but these guys are all just so unproven that there's not anyone in the group right now that I can really feel confident in, really feel reliant upon of being absolutely sure that guy, that guy's going to come in and he's going to do a great job at whatever spot he's playing. You know, we I, we were doing a little bit of depth chart projection on the last podcast, last week's podcast about the offense. Like I sit here today and I feel confident that the inside linebackers will be Taraj Mitchell and Dallas Gant with the obvious caveat that, you know, I do think that there are some other talented guys and Tommy Eichenberg and, and Cody Simon who will push for playing time. I mean, it's you could if I just if you gave me basically five names and just made me close my eyes and point at one of them, that would probably be how I would pick the sand linebacker until we actually see them and, and hear, you know, how they're progressing throughout spring. Yeah, I'm probably like 25% Craig Young, 25% Kayvon Pope, 25% Cody Simon, and 25% Court Williams, because I just don't know if that's spot. I really don't. Yeah, and there will probably be another guy or two who we haven't really factored in that'll all of a sudden show up, and we're like, oh, I guess he's a Sam now. And I think, you know, we've talked about it before, you know, some of that too could depend on what they decide to do schematically. And, and that's going to tie in with the defensive backs as well, because, you know, maybe we see, you know, different 
you know, packages, maybe we see more of a quote unquote bullet, or maybe we just see, you know, more nickel and dime looks, you know, two safety looks, whatever different looks that maybe, you know, utilize players differently if they don't have that third linebacker uh, really step up. But, you know, of course, the other question there is who's going to step up in the secondary, because this is a team that, again, there's a lot of talented defensive backs on this roster. A lot of guys who were, were highly recruited and who have a lot of potential, but there's not really one guy in that secondary right now that you can really point to and say, I'm sure that this guy is going to be a star in 2021. We look at the secondary. I don't know that we need to have another two hour discussion on the secondary, considering we've hit on these guys a billion times, but give me like one or two things that specifically in the spring, you'll be interested to hear about and see. Well, I mean, I think for one, like you look at those guys that are returning starters, seven banks, Josh Proctor, Marcus Williamson, can those guys really take the next step and really become guys that you can consistently rely on? Because I think, you know, we saw flashes from all those guys. I mean, particularly Banks and Proctor. I mean, both those guys made some big plays last year. I still think both they're guys that have really high upside and can be future NFL players, but we still have not seen on a consistent basis, you know, seven banks. I think he had a very up and down first year as a starter. I think he was, good at times. I think he also gave up his share of big plays, you know, same with Josh Proctor. I think, you know, you look at the position he's playing in that deep safety spot. You know, we talk about being that quote unquote eraser. Uh, he's not that yet. I mean, he, he, he's, he's given up uh, plenty of big plays over the middle by just, you know, not being, you know, where he needs to be. And again, I don't know if they're necessarily even going to use him in that capacity this year. I think it's definitely possible. We see, you know, much heavier use of two safety looks because I just don't know if they can necessarily count on that one guy to be, you know, that deep guy all the time. And, you know, that could also be an opportunity for some other guys to get involved too, whether that's Marcus Williamson playing safety where we saw him at the end of last year. Can Marcus Hooker make a resurgence after he kind of fell out of the lineup uh, late last season? Can a Lathan Ransom make a big jump? Maybe a Ronnie Hickman, can he earn a role? I mean, there's a lot of intriguing guys in the secondary. There's a lot of talented guys. Again, it's just we need to see a lot of these guys make a jump here. They, they really need to, you know, become more consistent players. And, you know, again, it's like you, like you said before, I mean, initially answered your question, you know, fitting guys into the scheme. Either these guys need to get a lot better or the scheme needs to change in a way that's going to put these guys in better positions to succeed because I think last year they tried to run the same scheme that they were able to run successfully when they had Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda and Jordan Fuller. And the reality is the guys who replaced them just weren't as good. And I'm personally not convinced that their 2021 secondary is going to have two first round picks at corner and a future NFL starter at safety either. They might, but there's a long way to go until getting to that point of uh, seeing that those guys are actually those caliber of players. Yeah, this spring to me is is all about figuring out where those younger guys fit in. Said it a million times, at this point, it's almost hard to, to say it in an interesting way because how many times can you say the same thing yet wait for them to actually get on the field? Um, but that's sort of where I'm at. Like, where where's Lathan? Where does Lathan Ransom fit in? Where does Ronnie Hickman fit in? You know, does Cam Martinez have any type of role? Ryan Watts, Legend Cavazos. I mean, you can go on and on. We know all the names by now. I don't know if these guys are just going to sit on the bench again, and it'll be like a linebacker situation from the past few years. Where we're like, wait, why aren't these guys playing? Um, I don't know. Maybe it maybe it ends up like that. It's hard to know. I think that this spring to me is all about finding out about those younger guys because, you know. I think the progression of the older guys, the returning starters, is, is really, really important. I don't necessarily know that it's as important as figuring out what you have in some of the younger guys who you've essentially, I don't want to say never seen, but you've barely seen before. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I think it's going to be huge. And, you know, I think there's, you know, I think the pass that some people have given Kerry Combs for last year was, you didn't have a full off season to work with these guys uh, to develop the defensive backs, 
and, and to install a scheme. And so, you know, there should have been some growing pains expected. Uh, you know, we maybe didn't really get to see what that defense could have been to its full potential. But now Ohio State gets a full spring that starts on Friday. There's no more excuses. Now o- Ohio State, uh, Kerry Combs, Matt Barnes, all these defensive coaches have got to find a way to get the job done and get this defense back to an elite level. Because while I do think the offense is going to be better than the defense, I also know that Ohio State is not going to have Justin Fields this year. And because Ohio State is not going to have Justin Fields, I don't think Ohio State is going to be able to make it back to the national championship game if its defense is not better than it was last year. I'm so excited for spring to happen so that we can actually figure out where these guys fit in beyond just having the same conversation for now going on a, a, this has now been two months of it. And man, you know, this podcast posts on Wednesday at some point on Wednesday, we should talk to Ryan day, just, just hearing him talk a little bit about football and where they are as a team right now. I think that that is, that will be a helpful refresher um, after when was the last time that we talked to him? I mean, it has been a national signing day. Yeah. I mean, that's well over a month now. Ryan day is going to talk at 1145 on Wednesday. I'm breaking this news to Colin right now. So that means Thank you very by much, the time Dan. you've listened to this portion of the podcast, Ryan day will have already uh, spoken to the media and we will have learned some new things from him. And yes. we will talk Congrats. about that. Yeah. We will Congrats. talk about that next week. <laughs> Congratulations on Jack Miller for winning the quarterback battle. I'm sure he will. That'll be his first announcement. Ryan Day is not going to name a starting quarterback tomorrow. I, I guarantee Ryan Day is not going to name a starting quarterback tomorrow or Friday. But Ohio State is going to be back on the practice field on Friday. Uh, not sure when we're going to actually get to watch practice because we're still living in COVID times here. But uh, we are going to get to talk to some coaches and players this week. So we will have some fresh football stuff to talk about next week, not just the same conversations that we've had for the past two months. So we'll have fresh football stuff to talk about next week. We're also going to have NCAA tournament stuff to talk about next week. Colin will be in Indiana for that. So uh, we'll talk to you again next week about all of that.